Everyday Gospel Podcast, where we have conversations with women and men who are living out their call outside the walls of the church. Hello, friends. This is Derek Scott III, and I welcome you to the Everyday Gospel Podcast. I'm real excited um, to introduce to you a good friend of mine, someone I've known since high school. Um, his name is Dr. William Lane. Um, we sometimes call him Brian, and in high school we called him Bill. Um, and I'm real excited for him to share with us today. So how are you doing, Brian? I am doing well today, Derek, and how are you? I'm doing great, man. That was a lovely introduction, I just want to say. I appreciate that. Thanks. <laughs> Brian, you want to tell us uh, just a little bit about yourself, sort of uh, what you're doing right now here in the city, um, a little bit of maybe about your family and you know anything cool. Sure, so I am an associate professor of physics at Jacksonville University. Basically what that boils down to is I teach college students physics, um, a lot of engineering students, a couple of physics students, um, a surprising number of chemistry students end up in my class. Um, and I do some physics research. Uh, I was trained in what's called condensed matter research, which is a fancy name for studying um, materials in the solid and liquid phases and superfluid phases and supersolids and all that wonderful quantum mechanical goodness. Mm -hmm. um, what I mostly focus on nowadays is either computational physics, so helping people model physics situations with computers, mm -hmm. or physics education research, which is trying to understand how students learn physics so that we can then better teach physics because it turns out if you teach based on how people learn they learn better than if you simply teach based on however you want to teach yeah. um uh family life uh i have been married for just over a year now mm -hmm. um and my wife and i just had our first child our daughter um back in may that was uh so she is about three months old she is awesome. finally starting to sleep through the night and uh she is a wonderful trial of patience and grace and love. And every day when I put her to bed, I think I say to myself, so this is a little glimpse of how God feels toward me. It's awesome. Congratulations Thank you. on your little girl. Um, Brian, we, we talked uh, last week uh, just about different things related to faith and related to physics specifically. But As we do. Uh, as we do, um, but also just about sort of living the life as a Christ follower. Mm -hmm. And um, so real excited for you to share. Um, if you could just tell us a little bit, and I actually haven't heard this part yet. Tell us how you came to Jesus or came to faith. Um, what was that experience for you? That is a really good question because I'm not 100% sure when that experience was. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure it was on one of the 10 occasions that I prayed to receive Christ. And this is a podcast, so you can't see me doing finger quotes <laughs> there. Um, but basically, I grew up in church hearing the gospel, hearing that I needed to trust Jesus to forgive me of my sins, complete in me what I could never complete because of my sinfulness. Um, and I remember hearing that and hearing that I needed to respond to that, that I needed to make that my own, that I couldn't just rely on being present at a church or having parents who were Christians yeah. for, for, for me to be connected to Christ. And so I remember praying to receive Christ in the bedroom at my grandparents' house one summer uh, on vacation. And I remember the next morning thinking, 
what if that didn't work? Um, and I, it sort of became, and that was probably like eight when mm -hmm. that happened. Um, and so over the next 10 years, you know, you know, every year or so, I would kind of readdress the question, did I really mean it when mm -hmm. I came to Christ? And I would say, okay, this time I'm going to pray again, and this time I'm going to mean it. Yeah. And what I eventually had to learn in college was that it wasn't about my sincerity or me conjuring up enough good faith or good emotions or good sincerity. It was about God saving me and me trusting in that, not in my own sincerity. Yeah. Um, and so I would say it was finally, you know, late high school, early college that I finally sort of, you know, had it settled in my mind. This is part of who I am. This is my defining feature is my faith in Christ. Awesome. And I remember we met in high school, yes, we Douglas did. Anderson School of the Arts. And I think our point of connection was Bible Club. Originally, and then we got to be in music history together. That's right, music <clears throat> history. So yes. it was in high school, I think mm -hmm. you were telling me that your appreciation for physics sort of, um, I, well, tell me, sort of what happened in high school as it relates to physics and you know, sort of gave you the momentum to go in the direction that you are in now. Sure. So I, it was 11th grade when I first took physics. Um, and I knew that I liked my science classes. I knew that I liked my math classes, but in my mind, those were different things. I mean, if you think back to high school biology, you're not doing a whole lot of math. You're maybe counting some chromosomes or some flagellums or things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm probably using the wrong words there. But uh, you don't do a whole lot of, you know, the type of math you do in a math class. And then I took chemistry, and there's a little bit more math. We had to use a calculator in that class. So that was, that was interesting. And then the first day of math class, I walk in, and, or excuse me, first day of physics class, I walk in, and the teacher says, do not turn off the math part of your brain. This is a math class. And everybody was just kind of looking around confused. And I just sort of, my, my jaw just sort of hit the floor. And I said, you mean we use math in science? And then from that day on, it was, you are using the physics to set up a math problem. And it was the two things that I loved most at school together in one class. I didn't have to choose between them. Um, what I really came to love about it was the problem solving aspect mm. of it was um, I could take a physical scenario, draw a diagram based on it, and I could solve it. And of course, all the problems in high school are physics are solvable. I didn't know that there were unsolvable problems until later. Um, but I just remember it, it was a struggle for me at first because I was having to use the math differently than in math class. You were having mm -hmm. to, like I remember specifically learning vectors. We had to draw a bunch of right triangles use the, the use everybody's favorite trigonometry and i remember just standing at a chalkboard one night uh i think it was at church i was there earlier or something so i was working on some homework and i just remember standing in front of a chalkboard looking at these diagrams and it finally clicked after i just made myself do it it wasn't that i had it explained another time it wasn't that i looked up a solution and understood it. it was that i made myself face the material look into the void of right triangles and come out knowing something. And then I went on to the next problem and said, so if I understand this right, this is how I need to solve this. And then I got through it, got the answer. And from that point on, I was, I was just hooked. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. So your love for physics, you know, kind of gets started around 11th grade and you mm -hmm. decide to go to uh, Jackson university. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and tell us a little bit about your undergraduate journey um, and how you were able to sort of take your faith and also take your love for physics and, and find the intersections and integration within those two. Sure. So uh, you use two words there, intersection and integration. Um, and I'll, I'll camp on those words for just a second. Mm-hmm. So during, during undergrad and grad school, I did face the question of, okay, how do I line up my Christian faith as a source of knowledge and my physics as a source of knowledge? Because, mm-hmm. you know, elephant in the room, for most people, those things usually don't get along, right? Um, so when I was in, it, it wasn't until I was in grad school that I really came more to peace with, with that interaction. Um, and I remember uh, reading a, a, a few books, you know, offering perspectives of that, not just on faith and physics, but on faith and scholarship in general. And one of the things they pointed out was that the issue with thinking in terms of integration is that you're trying to take two things that are separate and different and disjointed and somehow bringing them together and somehow making them fit. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you take the approach of all truth is God's truth and if these things exist, if Christianity exists and if physics exists, then those things are already joined together hmm. and they are already in harmony with each other. And the issue is not for me to make them harmonize together because that's a tall order that you know nobody is up to. But if the issue, but if, if if the impetus is for me to go find where they harmonize and go explore that thing that is already there, well then that's a lot easier. And that's yeah. a big burden off of the Christian physicist, yeah. I think. Did you find people, either professors or other friends in school that sort of helped you see that or helped you reconcile these sure. two ideas or I, I had a it, it was mostly in grad school I had a lot of uh, Christian faculty role models mm-hmm. um, in I, so I went to University of Florida for my uh, for my PhD um, and there's a pretty strong Christian faculty presence there um, where again it's not just a matter of well here's how you as an individual integrate your understanding of the Christian faith with your understanding of physics. It was more, let's all get together and talk about how our faith and our scholarship interact. Because, you know, you know, we, we run into these specific issues of the age of the universe and the development of life on Earth. And those are the ones that make the headlines. But really, on a day-to-day basis, there's the issue of Christianity is a revelation-based set of knowledge mm-hmm. where God has revealed himself and we try to understand it. And then there's your scholarship where you're kind of in the dark and trying to figure things out on your own and those two ways of learning they have a little bit of tension inherent in them and I think that tension is okay Mm -hmm. and I think that it's you have to learn to live with that tension and kind of learn when you're operating in which and how you can lean on each of them depending on how you need to. So tell me you know how you then square some of the more controversial um, issues that we that we tend to see um, in the clash between religion mm-hmm. and science. Sure. So when I was an undergrad, um, I'll just say I was a staunch young Earth creationist. Mm-hmm. There was no way you were telling me that the Earth was older than six thousand years. There was no way you were putting radiometric dating in front of me, and I could tell you exactly how all those things were set <laughs> up wrong. Yeah. Um, and part of that was that I was just I was ingrained in that Christian culture of we have to win every argument and we have to be right about everything, mm-hmm. you know? 
in grad school, a couple of things, before I changed my perspective on those things, in grad school, a couple of things happened that made me kind of be more relaxed about them. So I would say my attitude changed before my actual perspective changed. One was uh, getting to know my classmates in grad school in, in the physics program, getting to know the professors, and seeing that when they looked at the universe and saw that the universe is 14 billion years old or that the Earth is four and a half billion years old, they're not out to gut my Christian faith. Like, hmm. the Christ, like faith didn't even come up in conversation, which is probably another issue in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there was no, oh, and we have to make sure that we disprove the Bible on this one thing so that we can claim that the rest of it's false. It was simply, we look at the data and this is what it looks like, plus or minus you know, so much of a fraction of a percent that still mm -hmm. doesn't get you down to 6,000 years, but, you know, gets you, you know, maybe it's 13.8, maybe it's 13.75, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember thinking, these folks aren't out to get me. They're just doing good science. Yeah. And it was like, I don't, I don't know how to harmonize in my mind working with them and learning from them while also saying, you have an agenda against me. Mm -hmm. The other half of it was getting to know Christians from different upbringings and different denominational backgrounds and different belief structures and just having to, you know, reprioritize my beliefs, not sacrifice them or, or compromise on them, but just kind of reprioritize them so that I could be in a Bible study with somebody or so that I could be at a seminar with somebody and not feel like I had to argue with them over the finer points of interpreting a particular verse, you know, mm -hmm. you know, realizing that I had more in common with somebody very theologically different from me who was also a scientist than I do with somebody I sat next to at church who wasn't a scientist. That was kind of a big deal. And wow. so what basically came of that was that, that took about a year for me to kind of relax my hold on those things and say, okay, clearly I need a different perspective or I need a different approach to this, or I'm not going to be able to function in this environment, which God has called me to, mm -hmm. you know? And so I just, I remember being in my, my, my one bedroom apartment on 34th street in Gainesville, uh, thinking about the whole age of the universe question, because that's the, that's the big one in physics. And, <laughs> looking at it and thinking to myself, okay, if the universe were old, if God did take that long, what would that say about God? Mm. And I just, I didn't even accept it right away. I just sort of tried on the idea. I just yeah. sort of said, let me try this on for a second. Like you're in a store and you want to see what the shirt looks like. Let me just try this on. And I was floored because I realized what that said about God's patience to get the universe set up and get the earth set up just right for us to be here. And I realized what that meant about God's patience for me in coming to him and in repenting of my sins and wow. in learning to obey him. And I just, I never looked back because I liked that view of God. I liked what that said about God. It meshed with what I knew about God. And I then sort of turned around and did the, the, the more nitty gritty work of, okay, now how do I come to understand these passages? And so to me, the big turning point was I need to square away my view of God and then I can look at the minutia of how do I interpret this number? How do I interpret this verse, et cetera? That, that's awesome. And I love the, the, even the way that you um, just sort of described and, and that, that journey of dealing with something and, mm -hmm. and having sort of points of doubt and mm -hmm. points of confusion and yet um, sort of realizing how big God is mm -hmm. and how um, 
if we keep our focus on who Jesus is, we can then sort of work with all of these other things that we're discovering in right. our lives, um, technical or whatever. So did you ever struggle with whether you were going to go into ministry or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. So uh, I even up until when I was starting grad school, I, I had this sense of I like teaching people the Bible. I like seeing people grow in their faith. I like helping people. And what I kept hearing from church was, well, you know, God has a calling for everybody. But if you think you're called to full-time Christian ministry, here is what that looks like. Because it was always a pastor presenting that message. Yeah. It was never a lay person. It, yeah. was never, uh, it was never a construction worker talking about how Jesus had called them to a life of faithfulness on the job site, you know. And it wasn't until summer before I started graduate school, um, I went to a summer institute at the Christian Study Center in Gainesville. Mm -hmm. Keynote speaker, Andy Crouch, we were just talking about that Andy before Crouch starting the recording. Yeah. Um, and he and some of the other, some of the faculty at UF were talking about what it looked like for them to respond to a calling uh, to faithfulness in the university. And I just sort of was on the edge of my seat saying, you mean I can do that? Mm. They said, yeah, this is my ministry. My ministry is to teach my students, to represent Christ to them and to my colleagues, and to develop my field with a Christian worldview. And it was just, it was, I had never even thought that way before. Wow. And from that moment on, I just sort of said, okay, so this is my ministry. And I've had that conversation with students who are struggling between, do I go to seminary? Do I go to grad school? What do I do? And I just say, look, here was my journey, is I had to realize that my life as a professor is a ministry. It's not, well, I make money and I support ministries. It's no, it's I am doing the ministry there in my job. Sometimes it doesn't look very Christian. Sometimes it just looks mm -hmm. like grading. But what's amazing to me is how impactful that is because you spend years at an institution you build up trust, you build relationships, you build this common sense of purpose, and then every now and then you get to add on, and I do this because I love Jesus Christ and he loves me. And wow. we can talk about that if you want to. Can you think of a time when you like really felt like, yeah, this is exactly where Jesus wants me to be? It was not that long into my time at JU. I've been there for 10 years, mm -hmm. and my very first semester, I was teaching a course, Technical Communication, um, which I didn't take as an undergrad. I didn't have any training <laughs> in, but they needed somebody to teach it. I had, mm -hmm. was finishing my dissertation, so I knew how to write technically, so it, it helped pay the bills. Mm -hmm. um, turned out to be one of my favorite classes, and I've, I've enjoyed teaching it over the years. Um, but there were... I think there were eight students in that class. Four of them were Christians, mm -hmm. still are to, to my knowledge. Uh, four, four of them uh, were believers and, and I remember one of them found out <laughs> about my faith. Like he yeah. came in and I was listening to a sermon on iTunes or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, huh. He goes and tells the others. So <laughs> within great. a week of this one student finding that out, one of them comes in to talk to me about Christianity and, and evolution and how I deal with that and et cetera. And then another one comes in to ask me, uh, actually, no, this one didn't know beforehand. I take that back. This one didn't know beforehand. He came in. They were supposed to uh, design a website for uh, a project in this class. Mm -hmm. And he comes in and he says, so I was thinking about doing like, like kind of a personal story on this website. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fine. You can write about anything. Because I hadn't yet structured the course to where they were actually writing about engineering. They were just writing about whatever they could in the format. Mm -hmm. And he says, okay. And then he he, he kind of leans in. 
is, is it okay if it's, if it's kind of religious based? I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I'm like, he's going to put his testimony online, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. So he, he does, he puts up his testimony and he's got all these different pages, all these different times in his life, including like the week before when he and his girlfriend had gone on this relationship fast to see if they were truly committed to each other, but also to Jesus and all this stuff. I and I'm just really like, right oh my gosh, this is so great. And yeah. he didn't know, like he was afraid of it. And so, I, so when I graded it, so I mm-hmm. responded, so he sent me the link in an email, I responded to the link to grade it, and I say, okay, as your professor, comma, here are my comments. You could probably stand to expand the borders here. I like your use of color here. I'd like to see another page about blah, 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 blah here. You've done, you've done excellent work. You get a 98%, you know, mm-hmm. minus something for grammar or whatever. New paragraph. As a fellow Christian, I'm very encouraged to read the blah, 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 blah. You know, it was just a... It was just this nice moment yeah. of, you know, being able to identify each other. And, and I, I have that moment probably about once a year where a Christian student in class finds out about uh, my religious affiliation, my commitment to Christ. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, like, they don't, they, they don't expect me to, like, lead them in prayer or lead them in a Bible study or something. But suddenly they feel just a little bit bolder in class. Mm-hmm. So they'll start inviting people to church from class. Or they'll start talking about their church's events in class <laughs> and things like that. And it's like, you weren't this bold a week ago before yeah. we had that conversation. And so it's just, it's, it's interesting to, to watch getting to interact with students. And, and obviously, you know, there's some, there's some professional concerns there about, you know, who initiates the conversation, how do you, do you go, et cetera. But, you know, it's, it's nice because I, basically I treat it like this is another thing for us to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, you're interested in Dungeons and Dragons. I play Dungeons and Dragons too. Let's talk about Ooh, that. You're okay. interested yeah. in, uh, you, you like the, the Marvel movies. I like the Marvel movies too. Let's talk about that. You, you're, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian too. Let's talk about that. And it just kind of is, you know, along the line of things that we talk about in those breaks in between class or when I'm checking in with them in, during lab or something like that. Awesome. The Everyday Gospel Podcast was created to support the ministry of Campus to City Wesley Foundation, which is the United Methodist College Age Ministry for Young Adults in Northeast Florida. Sway Memorial United Methodist Church is located in the San Marco area of Jacksonville. Three years ago, Swaim opened up their doors to allow CCW to use the kitchen so that we could provide cooked meals that would be served to the students on campuses. In addition, They've allowed us to take a room in their building that was once a meeting space and let us turn it into our podcast studio. Our partnership with Swain continues to grow as many of our interns are involved in their congregation. We're just very grateful for the love and support of Steve and Stella Painter and all of the wonderful people at Swain Memorial United Methodist Church. Without them, CCW would not be able to fulfill its mission. So to the folks at Swain Memorial United Methodist Church, we are so grateful for you. So, Brian, tell me again how long you've been teaching physics at JU now. I've been teaching physics at JU for 10 years. Before that, uh, while I was in grad school, even when I wasn't officially teaching, I was usually tutoring people. Mm -hmm. Um, And before that, uh, you know, even in undergrad, I tutored people every chance I got. Because to me, one of my favorite parts about physics is seeing other people come to understand it, come to enjoy it, and come to feel like it's something that they can do. Mm -hmm. So tell me what you're seeing, you know, of a decade now of teaching physics. What are you seeing (laughs) in students and their receptivity to physics, particularly in the world that we're living in? Um, In in my work as a campus minister, 
we're often talking about millennials and how millennials are mm-hmm. so different from everyone mm-hmm. else in pretty much every sector. Um, and so I don't know if maybe you're seeing the same things in your field as well. Yeah, there's definitely been a shift in the last, since, since I've been teaching, there's definitely been a shift in how the students approach their classes. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have the, I'm going to read the textbook every night and I'm going to do my homework every night type of thing. You have more, well, if I could just get with somebody else who understands it, and it's not necessarily the teacher they're looking for. Sometimes it's just a classmate. They, they, they're learning a lot more in groups mm-hmm. and they're learning a lot more um, by kind of not just seeing it done on the board, but kind of making the journey with somebody else seems to be a big help to this generation of students. Mm-hmm. So you were telling me when we met last week about a survey yes. um, that, uh, that has been taken of physics students. Can you tell us a little bit about that survey and sort sure. of what you found? So this is, this is an important thing for me because this is the thing that got me into physics education as a field and not just as an activity. So mm-hmm. uh, this is, and, and I've been using it to assess my classes for years now. This is called the Colorado Learning Attitudes About Science Survey or CLAS mm-hmm. for an acronym. This is an interesting uh, assessment tool. So usually what you do when you want to find out what somebody learns in a physics class is you make up a set of objectives for what you want them to know, which usually means concepts, problem solving, you know, can they do the, you know, the kind of traditional physics stuff. Mm-hmm. You give it to them at the beginning of the semester, you give it to them at the end of the semester, and hopefully they score better at the end than they did at the beginning. Um, what we've learned though is that that's not just that's not the only important thing, right? So, you know, kind of paralleling that to Christianity, we would call that having head knowledge without heart knowledge, mm-hmm. right? And so what got me interested in this survey was a couple of things. One was just this notion that, that as physics educators, we can assess a student's view of physics. That mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with their knowledge. It has nothing to do with F equals MA or Ohm's law or, or equals MC squared or any of that stuff. It has to do with how they approach the subject matter. And that just that really intrigued me as a Christian because that's what we want to see developed in people in church, right? We want them to learn about the Bible. We want them to learn about what what we believe and uh, who Jesus is and what he's like, but we also want them to apply it to their lives. We want them to see it as relevant. And so I'd love to come, I, I would love for there to come a day where this type of assessment takes place at church, where we're assessing people's learning attitudes about Christianity. Do they think Christianity is relevant? Do they think Christianity is something approachable and that it's something that they can learn about and take on for themselves? Or do they think of it as this cold, distant thing? I I would love to do an assessment like that at church. I haven't met a pastor yet who would let me hand out a survey to I, I mean to people but I'm not I'm not a you know big P pastor but you know maybe yeah. we can talk about campus ministries and, and definitely that might be cool. Definitely. Yeah. But the other thing that interested me is and this is actually when I heard about this um, this survey was I was going to a, a I was going to a big physics conference. It was the big uh, for the physicists listening. This was the March meeting, uh, and this is like the big uh, gathering point for thousands of physicists from around the country mm-hmm. to to present their research. And there was a little slice of an educational research section, um, and they were talking about the survey, and it had just come out like the year before. So it was this research group presenting all the results from it, and the one I just happened to stumble into was. Uh, uh, when they had administered this survey to a class of students where they asked them to give their response to the survey like usual they said what what is your response to these statements Mm -hmm. and then they said here's the survey again I want you to take it again 
you circled your response. Now I want you to put a line under the response you think your physics teacher would give. Hmm. Because they wanted to know, is this a matter of like students just don't know what physics is like? So usually students, when they fill out the survey, they get in the 50, maybe 60% range of thinking like a physicist. Mm -hmm. For their responses of how do you think your physics teacher would respond, they were on the like the 95% level. And so wow, the title of the talk was, students know what physicists believe, they just don't agree. <clears throat> and it boggled my mind that these students could know how physicists go about doing their work, but then not adopt that view for themselves to try to succeed in the class. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, it just, it, it, you know, I see parallels in Christianity of people know the gospel, right? We were just, we were talking about before the recording that you could go down the street and we live in, in the South. Most people you pass by would be able to give you some version of the gospel, mm -hmm. right? They, mm -hmm. they would know it, but they probably not responded to it. They've probably yeah. not taken it as their own. They probably don't have that personal relationship with Christ. And so to me, it was just so interesting to see that kind of parallel that you can know all the right stuff about physics, but not take it in for yourself. Yeah. The, the other thing that's interesting, and this is where I'll just plug my own work for just a minute. Um, we gave the survey out uh, this past spring, as we usually do, only we did something a little bit different. We asked the students at the end, we gave it to them twice, kind of like they did in the, in the physicist survey. So we gave it to them at the beginning of the semester, gave it to them at the end of the semester, and they gave it to them a third time on the last day of the semester and said, take the survey one more time and tell me what you think your response would have been on the first day of class. Mm -hmm. So what we saw was that their beginning to end of semester results showed the typical flatlining, slight deterioration, not a whole lot of good news there. When we looked at their retrospective results, so them at the end of the semester looking back mm -hmm. at the beginning of the semester and saying, here's what I would have said, it showed this incredible increase from their retrospective results to their end of semester results, hmm. where they said, yes, my responses have changed. Even though the responses didn't change, they reported their responses as changing. So there's, that's something we just got a couple months ago and, we, and my colleague just presented about at, the, um, at, a, at a national conference this summer. And so we're gonna do that again this fall to try to get an idea of what's going on with it. Because what that's saying is that the students' responses are not changing from beginning to end, but there's something about their baseline understanding of physics that is mm. changing that you can probe by doing this retrospective survey, which is, we, we, we need to do more, we need to get more data to figure out what's going on there. It's just, it's really interesting to see that what's going on. That is fascinating, wow, yeah. wow. Um, and I'm going to make sure that we include a link to that survey sure. um, in uh, the show notes for uh, this episode of the podcast, because uh, I do think that that survey yeah. um, is really interesting. If there are any science teachers listening, it is available for physics, chemistry, and biology. Awesome, awesome. So tell me what you think, you know, the Everyday Gospel Podcast, you know, has a broad audience of mm -hmm. people. Not everyone um, uh, listening to the podcast have a science, math background. Uh, I don't know, other than you, how many physicists are going to be listening to this particular episode. Um, what do you feel like the, the rest of us who aren't as, you know, familiar with physics, what should we know? What should we appreciate? What do you wish we appreciated? Hmm. Um, about the study of physics? I would say two things. One is that physics is approachable. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, we, 
people like me get excited and talk too fast for an audio recording and we just want to talk all day about finding the Higgs boson or observing the black hole at the center of the galaxy and, and all this stuff and we get really hyped up about that and sometimes that can make physics seem inaccessible because people say well I didn't spend 10 years studying physics so I, I, I just shouldn't even try really anybody can do physics if you go out at night and look up at the stars you are doing physics, right? Because you're noticing the stars aren't in quite the same place as they were the night before. And so you are doing physics because that means that you're on a ball that is spinning around, tilted at an angle, going around the sun. And, and, and you're able to observe that just in the slight change in position of the stars at night. Hmm. It, um, the other thing that I would want people to know is that physics is incredibly enjoyable. You know, the one thing I never want anybody to say about my classes is that I made physics fun. Because that implies that physics is not fun and I have to somehow paint a layer of fun on top mm -hmm. of it. What I want people to say about my classes is, he showed me how much fun physics is. Mm. And fun may not be the right word. Maybe the right word is enjoyable or this is a Christian podcast, so maybe the right word is glorious, I don't know. <laughs> but that physics is this thing that you can enjoy and that it's worth pursuing even to whatever 10 minutes at a time, you can pursue it. It's definitely worthwhile and it's definitely doable. Awesome. Didn't prepare you for this question. Okay. Favorite scripture? Okay. Um, may, may I look it up so that I don't miss Absolutely. Quote? Okay. Okay. Because I know what it is. And it's not even a favorite verse. It's a favorite part of a verse. Oh, come on. Yes. But, and I, and because, because I mean, the verses are not inspired, right? There's a guy <laughs> on the back of a donkey says, I think I'll, I think I'll index the Bible. So it's in Hebrews 11, mm -hmm. right? And everybody likes all the examples given, et cetera. But I like in verse 16, um, as it is, they desire a better country. These people that he's given as examples, that is a heavenly one. And this is the part I love. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Hmm. And so whenever I feel down, whenever I feel depressed, whenever I feel like a failure, I, that pops in my head and I say, God is not ashamed to be called your God. Whoa, that, that's awesome. Brian, um, if people want to connect with you, um, see more of what you're doing, um, how do they find you? Sure. So uh, I've got two Twitter accounts. Uh, one is for me personally. That's at W. Brian Lane. Mm -hmm. Brian is spelled with an I. Lane is spelled like the street name. Um, if they would like to see me in a little more physics-y context, they can follow at Let's Code Physics. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for being on the Everyday Gospel Podcast. And thank you, Derek, for hosting this worthwhile endeavor that I hope people will continue to listen to. Awesome. You can get the Everyday Gospel Podcast by supporting Campus to City Wesley Foundation on Patreon.